Hello. Yo, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Can okay, you good. What? T- sorry for calling so early. Earlier. What time is it over there? It's uh, it's ten right now. So is this weird? Because you usually call me. Yeah, it is kind of weird, but in an exciting way. Where I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god, is this gonna call me later?" <laughs> well, Get yeah. Ready. Yeah, you usually call me just to talk about whatever random stuff is going on. Yeah, that's true. Well, how are you doing? What'd you do for so, Thanksgiving? Um, I went to my girlfriend's parents' house where I made a meal for everybody. You made no a meal turkey, for everybody. But, yeah. How'd that Dude, go? I, I don't know if you. I don't know if you know, but I am. Uh, I really love cooking. That's like that's something that I recently, within the past three years, like really started picking up. So what you do? Would you yeah. like make a turkey or something? No, I, I made some Cornish hen. I made a. Oh wait, are we starting? Is this because you're you're in radio voice? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been recording this whole time. Sorry. Oh, okay. I was like, you're being nice. This is maybe us starting. Yeah. No, it was good. Um, I made a Cornish hen. I made. Um, a beef stew, I made mashed potatoes, I made stuffing, mm-hmm. everything came out great, and uh, her family, who are not cooks, were wildly impressed mm-hmm. with the, the little that I brought, so, yeah. it was good. So, the, uh, the reason that I'm calling you is because we're trying to do this episode about cousins, and, I mean, you're my cousin, so I, I we figured it would be fun to start the episode this way, but it is, it's, it's kind of weird, you're... Is this the first year you haven't been on the East Coast for Thanksgiving? This is the first year I haven't been on the East Coast for Thanksgiving, yeah. Huh. How do you feel about that? It's fine. You know, it's, it's, um, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer not to see the same people that you see, you know, during Thanksgiving. But I think it's, um, you know... It's just just this year, and, and it's nice to get to spend time with my girlfriend and I mean, I get family. It's what just, you're saying. Well, that, that's significant, yeah. the fact that you spend it with your girlfriend and her family. But I feel like out of all the cousins, you are most nostalgic and value the idea of family. I don't know. You, t- you sure talk about it a lot more. Yeah. So doesn't um, the idea of not seeing your family this year bother you? Or are you not, just kind of really dead be- to it? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not dead to it. It doesn't. It doesn't really bother me because I I do keep in touch with them. You know, I like call my mom and I call them yesterday during Thanksgiving. We had a FaceTime, and I think less, more so than the fact of like having be being there with them. You know, it's it's good to see that they're happy and that they're safe, and that does that does it for me. That is so interesting. How's, um, what about you? Do you feel any sort of nostalgic uh, point of view from, you know, maybe not hanging out with your, your mom and dad? I mean, I kind of, I feel, I, if anything, I feel kind of sad about not going to Queens this year. Oh, with your grandparents, right? Yeah. But I don't know. I the, you, See, you're the one who seems to value the idea of family, and you're the one who makes an effort to call everybody all the time. Yeah, that's, um, you know, part of it 
part of it is nostalgia and like it makes me feel good to kind of you know what it's part of it andrew is that i just want to stay a kid i just want to be a kid again Uh and being able to reconnect with people who have been a part of my lives when when i was a kid makes me feel like a kid again you know, so that's mm-hmm. that's a big part of my nostalgia. I also think that part of my growth has been a lot of like coming to terms with being a almost thirty year old dude. So you know, I think I think that's part of it. You know, and it, it would be it would be a shame for young Justin to lose touch with his his cousin. You know, because we we had all those times fighting over. Nintendo and making Bible Man videos, you know, like sure. short film videos at your house. So, uh, you right. know, I think, I think, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a big part of it, and, and and it makes me feel good. And I also, and you know, that's just part of my identity. And you know, to the point, even when, when, when people around me don't have that same nostalgic feeling, it confuses me. Huh? Yeah. How you, how how are you doing? How's um how how are you feeling these days? I'm generally feeling okay. I felt kind of down on Thanksgiving itself. I don't really enjoy the act of getting together with family on Thanksgiving, but not doing that this year was kind of rough. Yeah. See, like, did you did you call your grandparents? Uh, you know what? I didn't actually do that. For some reason, I feel like doing that would make it worse for me. Like, for you, calling people makes you feel better. For me, anything less than the real thing just feels depressing. You know what? I feel like it's the only child thing, too. What do you mean by that? I feel like... Well, I feel like... I feel like as the as a only child, oftentimes, like... You don't you you might you don't feel like you have the support that you need for me, which would be like siblings to uh-huh. really have conversations with your family about you know relationships. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think uh, kind of breaking those comfort levels for other familial members. I think that's something that I I, I do all the time. I, I don't know why. What do you mean I by like calling of, them out of the blue? You mean? Yeah, I mean it's not like that's not something that I feel like. I feel like I'm constantly breaking your comfort zone, right? Like you're, well, you're constantly, yeah. Like you maybe don't want to talk on the phone all the time. Like how many other family members or cousins, like do you talk to on the phone other uh-huh. than your parents, uh-huh. you know, that, that ring you, you know, uh-huh. and just like, just to catch up. I feel like maybe that's somewhere out of your comfort zone. And like, for me, like that's, you know, kind of breaking people out of their comfort zone is, you know, just to kind of bridge that connection, forcing that connection is something that's really important to me. And you got to do, whereas I feel like... You do care very little about thing. other people's comfort. I, I do care very little about other people's comfort. Uh-huh. But I feel like in the end, it stretches their comfort zone so they can be more comfortable when when we're, when other people do stuff, you know? So it's, just, it's not as shocking. So what you're just trying to... You're trying to force other people's lives to be better. I'm trying to force other people's lives to be better, a hundred percent. But yeah, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say it's a little better? Oh, what? Wouldn't I say what's a little better? I guess you. I guess your like life. My life, because you call me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. A little. Yeah, I mean, a I, little yeah, bit. Sure. Why not? I'll give you that. Yeah. You know, a percent. A percent better. I sure. 
<laughs> all right. I, I think that's all I need. <laughs> I think that's good enough. I'll talk Wait, to you let's later. talk about other cousins. How, 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 have you talked to Tim or anyone else? I haven't heard from him in a while. His original plan was to come back for Thanksgiving, and then he had to cancel his plane ticket, as far as I know. I don't know. His sister Joanne seems to be living her best life in New York, though. So yeah, for sure. Her Instagram is it's great. And you know, um, Elizabeth, you know, while, while we're on the, the, the topics of cousins, mm-hmm. I might as well just catch you up with what everyone's doing. Why not? So, my, um, so Elizabeth, she's been getting, so little that I know, or now that I'm like thinking about it, um, she's been buying and she's been making and like knitting Christmas gifts every year for like me, Mm -hmm. my brother and my sister Mm -hmm. the past like five years and we haven't gotten her anything. So this year I'm getting her like a super nice squatty potty. Is that that a fun (laughs) gift? I'm sorry. What? I'm getting her a really nice squatty potty. Uh, like a. Do you know what a squatty potty is? I mean, I know it's it's a toilet that you squat over. Yeah, exactly. It's like the toilet stool, but they have like really ornate premium versions. I'm gonna get her one. You're gonna. Is it like? Does it modify a regular toilet to become a squat toilet? It's it's basically like a stool that is designed to fit underneath your toilet in a in a very non-intrusive way. So she has been giving you hand-knit gifts every year for the past five years, and you're returning the favor by buying her a squat toilet. Yes. Why do you think that way? Why? Why do you? Why is it that you think she would want this? Uh, you know what? I don't think anyone like intrinsically wants it, but I feel like if it's there, they would use it. <laughs> it's just you forcing other people's lives to be better. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. Okay, I so this is like when you got me that chocolate fountain. Where have you have you not used a chocolate fountain? No, yet? I haven't used. When am I ever going to use a chocolate fountain? You know what? I feel like enough years has passed where I wouldn't be offended if you if you regifted it. Thanks, I. I I planned on doing that, so I'm glad I have your approval officially. You have you have my official approval. All right. Exactly. All right. Sure. Thanks. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Right. We're gonna see you uh, next month. Um. Yeah. Sure. Let me know when you're around. Cool, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna be around all December, I think. So. Okay. If it's safe enough, maybe maybe we can hang out. I'll try. I'm trying to get a PS5 before then, so maybe we can just kind of hole in and play that. All right. Good luck. All right. Take care, man. Bye. Bye. The spirit of incarceration dwells here. And then we're moving by the pack, so we're moving them. Even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus y podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl, an Asian guy, and a white guy too. My name is Andrew. I'm Asian. I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Bethany. I'm black and I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Chris. I'm white. I use he, him pronouns. 
so we like to start out our podcast by talking about uh, things that we want to clarify or bring up from previous episodes. Yeah. So in the last episode, the mini-sode with my mom, um, I blurted out that white women are the worst. And then as my mom got excited at my proclamation that white women are the worst, (laughs) she kind of talked over my explanation. I don't just generally think that white women are always the worst, right? When I speak, when I speak in generalities, I'm speaking to people that subscribe to or act within their uh, power and privilege. So when Mm. I say men, I understand that it's not every single man, but generally the power structure is men. So- Or when we we talk about white people, for instance. Right, when we talk about white people, I understand that there are more Chris's in the bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Since he's our resident white person, I'll use him as the example. Um, so with that being said, the Hold reason on, I, let, let me stop you there. Sorry, because I feel like I, I feel like this that what you're saying here is kind of an unspoken like it's just assumed. Uh, at least like when you're in a group with other people, like we're in when you're in a group with other POC and you talk about white people, like obviously we're talking about white people in general. We're not talking about specifically. So if you're a white person and you're in one of those conversations and your POC friends are comfortable enough to talk about white people in front of you, They're consider yourself you. really privileged. Yeah. Consider yourself super privileged. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Consider yeah. yourself lucky for being there and, and yeah. like really trust it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, I I may have said this on the on the podcast before, but, but like this is one of the things I share with, with my friends like this. Like, the thing we do together is a privileged space for me. Like, mm-hmm. to be included in these conversations, it's it's really special. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, like, <laughs> this is, like, this is my hope for white people on the whole out there. Like, if, if like, if you get in this way, it's, like, you're, you're going to, like, you're going to be blessed with what you learn. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Like, we yeah. don't, don't expect <laughs> us to stop the conversation and be right. like, but not you, white but person. Not- Right. That. Just assume right. we like you. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So, anyway, You're not going to die. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like when when gay people talk about straight people, I'm not like, well, I'm a good straight. Like, no, <laughs> I understand that you're talking about power and yeah. privilege in general. Don't yeah. be such a, as my mom would say, a pansy. Whenever she <laughs> wants to call somebody a pussy, she says pansy. Um, so don't be a pansy. Um, but with that being said, I was referring to white women like Karens or Beckys that use their power and privilege to their advantage. Um, And oftentimes what I have run into with white women and, you know, sometimes gay white people and sometimes um, poor white people is that because they've experienced oppression, they think that they're completely absolved of oppressing. And the sinister thing about white women is that their purity is always protected and always assumed. Um, so when they use their power and privilege, it oftentimes taps into that like sanctity around mm. white women and they weaponize like that sanctity and then when you're like yo you're being like a really fragile white woman right now then right. there are the tears or there then there's the but i'm a woman and like i didn't get to vote until 1918 and all right. all of this shit that doesn't matter and does not absolve you of being an oppressor being um 
both a marginalized person and a person that has some privilege means that you have to recognize and hold your privilege and not take up space. And then when you're being oppressed, then you can take up space and assert mm-hmm. yourself. But you really need to identify the situations in which you need to step back and then situations in which you need to step up. And I have experienced a lot of white women um, just weaponizing their womanhood against me to oppress me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I like the 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 Googleable example from this year is Amy Cooper. Is that the woman that called the cop and started having her voice shake and stuff? Yeah. Yes, she is a prime example yeah. of that. Like, if you need an example, Google Amy Cooper. Yes, and she was like a hardcore Biden Democrat liberal yeah. supporter. Yeah, but she still weaponized her white womanhood yeah. to like threaten a black man's life. Like, honestly, if you call the cops on a black man or say that you're going to call the cops on a black man, you know that you're threatening their life. And then when she got on the phone and like changed her voice to sound distressed, that was scary. Yeah. So she's the white woman that I have in mind. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't want it. I didn't want to let white women are the worst just lie. Yeah. Like that didn't feel good. Mm hmm. I mean, the history of white womanhood and whiteness and womanhood is interesting historically, just because Mm -hmm. whiteness has given white women a particular kind of privilege, just like Bethany was talking about in connection to like the notion of purity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also think that like this is something that all people should be thinking about. Um, I think that whiteness is this idea or is this position of being a man, being straight, being Christian, um, and being white, right? Like everybody is trying to get to that level. That's like the highest level in our society. So in that, where people have some sort of um, like adjacency to being at the top level, they will then wield their power to oppress somebody else, right? So that's why you see a lot of black Christians that are super homophobic. And it's like, I don't think the Bible is saying to hate gay people, but because they already have, especially black Christian men, because they're already a man and they're already Christian, they're willing to like sacrifice other black people in their Mm -hmm. community to get closer to where a white straight Christian man is. Right. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just like we're saying, like, whiteness has given white women particular kinds of privilege in history. So consistently throughout history, you see white women fighting for the status quo. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at the... They're the, fighting the, to the, uphold the system that oppresses yeah, people. Close to 50% of white women voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and even more of them voted for Donald Trump in 2020. Crazy. Yeah. We'd like to hear what you guys are talking to us about in our Speak Up segment. This week, we've got an email from somebody who says, um, let me just read part of his email. I'm a white man. My pronouns are he slash him. It has been uh, seven wild days since the election. This email is from a little bit ago. And I finally listened to episode 30, Voting in the Apocalypse, this morning. I have some complicated feelings. I knew there would be a red mirage because of mail-in ballots, but I was incredibly disappointed that the election was as close as it was. Not only was it close, but Trump had 9 million more votes than he received in 2016. (laughs) That's crazy. I didn't know that. (laughs) Right. Um, On top of that, according to exit polls, which I acknowledge are not the gospel truth, 
17% of people said the coronavirus pandemic was the most important factor in their vote. It terrifies me not only that 71 million of our fellow Americans saw what this man was doing and approved of it, but also that there is a significant chance he would have won if this worldwide pandemic did not put his incompetency so thoroughly on display. What do we do with that? Personally, this highlights that I need to be more willing to have hard conversations with my conservative relatives. I have tried this in the past, but some just seem immune to evidence. Chris, as a fellow white man with conservative relatives, <laughs> how do you handle these conversations? How do we de-radicalize our loved ones? I don't know why fellow white man is hilarious to me, because usually that doesn't lead to something good, right? <laughs> As a fellow white man, usually means that somebody somebody's going to get lynched or something. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear it, Chris. I um, I want to acknowledge that um, the reply to Phil was quite lengthy. Um, I would. You, you did email him back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the. This, the summation, I, the in, which is like in process, um, goes something like this. My, um, my family, for the most part, um, the ones that I'm in these conversations with, I can't even really say for the most part. My, my family don't have the same religious beliefs across the board, but many of my family members are Christian, so we share a faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, there's this... there's. The tension for me is is that we agree a lot on the generalities, right? Like, we share this theology, Jesus is King, Lord of Lords, our Savior. Um, this is a, like, this is a journey of faith that we're on together, but, but it, it gets really murky when it comes to the specifics of how we're working out that faith and how we think God is in relationship with the rest of the world, um, mm-hmm. politically. Um, racially, you know, biologically, um, mm-hmm. sexually, you know, like that's really where the tension is. Um, that's where like the emotions go up. Like I, I, I get really like not the best parts of me come out in those areas. I, I don't like, so I don't really have an answer. I, I definitely feel the, um, the tension there, um, I can I can acknowledge that I I can't say that all of my conversations with my family are going well, um, but I am happy for those conversations that are like ongoing. Like mm-hmm. I do find hope just in that. Like we haven't antagonized each other to the point where we're not talking. And I do, um, I you know like like for the sake of for the sake of that ongoing conversation. I just I guess I would just encourage you like. To keep um, keep trying, um, stay in community with with people who encourage you. Um, pray, um, take breaks, mm-hmm. um, and you know just keep at it. But it, I, I I do acknowledge that it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, what you're advocating for is what per, uh, persistence. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I, I get that. Uh, did um, hey, did Joe listen to our episode? You know what? I haven't. I haven't checked in with him on that. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I'm I'm similarly curious about how um, how he received it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll have an speaking. answer for you by the next time. 
Well, I, I am curious about that, just because the subject of our episode today is um, is the subject of cousins. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about how, well, Beth, why why don't you tell us this? Why is it that you were so interested in exploring what seems to like cousins? Like, what's why is that, like compared to like I don't know reparations or mm-hmm. burning everything down? Why are we talking about cousins? <laughs> because for some reason, white people don't have no fucking cousins. <laughs> We need to solve this mystery on this podcast. Why don't white people really have cousins? Mm. That's the discussion. Is it something about money economically? Is it something culturally? Why does it feel like people of Mm. color grow up with their cousins kind of like as a staple of their family? Whether you like your cousins or not, you have to deal with your cousins. But white people... I don't know. I don't really hear white people talk about their cousins. <laughs> right. I mean, let's acknowledge that, like, if, like, but biologically speaking, white people have cousins. Right. Yes. Right. We're, we're <laughs> not a different true. species. That, right. <laughs> that in general, it does seem like white people relate to their extended family in a different way that um, people black people do or immigrants do. I mean, it's, it's totally true. So, I mean, why don't we start by this? Like, Bethany, what's your relationship to your cousins? I'm really close to all of my cousins. And then I think I'm extra black because I'm even close to my second cousins once Mm -hmm. removed or my second cousins, not once Mm -hmm. removed. Um, So I grew up with 17 cousins on my mom's side um, that grew up very similarly to my sister and I religiously. Um, I always joke about how like one sister um, my mom it has uh, five sisters and one brother. Um, is that right? Yeah, five sisters and one brother. Um, and one sister would decide that a cartoon or a toy was demonic and then it would trickle down to the rest of the sisters. <laughs> yes. right. So yeah. we would all slowly get banned from watching something. And, and to mm. this day, my cousins still get mad at me that my sister and I were allowed to watch The Simpsons because none of the rest of the cousins were uh-huh. allowed. Um, but yeah, we all grew up pretty close, even though I was in Philly and they were in Western PA. Um, mm-hmm. I can remember calling my cousins on Saturday night to make sure that they were watching all that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we were really close. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have eight cousins or maybe nine cousins on my dad's side. Um, they're, they're culturally a little bit different from me but i'm still close to all of them too so yeah i have hella cousins and i like almost all of them yeah no i feel that for sure i have a similar relationship to my cousins mainly the cousins on my mom's side and also like my mom only has one brother but my grandparents have a have a bunch of siblings so i Mm. i'm close to my second and third cousins Mm -hmm. we're all like on the east coast in like new york new jersey area mostly and similarly like they're all a lot of them around the same age as me i'm kind of older than a bunch of them by a couple years um so i'm like the big brother cousin Mm. for a lot of my cousins but similarly like i would see them at all kinds of family gatherings on christmas at thanksgiving we would drive up to queens we would like sleep on the floor in my grandparents living room Mm -hmm. um like my cousin, like they still call me randomly, particularly Justin, who I guess maybe will be in this episode. 
uh, to talk to me about whatever random shit he's going through. Mm-hmm. And like, I do act kind of irritated, but I'm, I see, I'm secretly delighted every time he calls me. But ju- <laughs> ju- Justin, don't, uh, don't take that to heart. I'm <laughs> like, the amount, the amount that you call me at this point is perfectly sufficient. You don't need to call me <laughs> <that> often. <laughs> A very older cousin thing to say. Yeah. But like, yeah, I still care about them. I still like, they're all like, all, at this point, they're all over the country and stuff. But like, we're still pretty well connected. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm an only child. I don't have any siblings. My cousins are my siblings. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost literally in the case of my cousin, Timothy, who like literally lived with me for a couple of years uh, and we went to school together. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, totally. I feel like that's also like a common Mm-hmm. person of color theme with cousins is that sometimes your cousins end up living with you <laughs> right. sometimes they just move in for they random just move in just for periods of time and you don't even ask any questions you're just like okay party every day yeah and right. then they move out um so uh chris what's your relationship i mean i know that you're at least close to you're at least you're close to some of your cousins yeah yeah so what's your relationship with your cousins i mean is it like is it cliche to say it's complicated like <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll tell you why i am I'm the oldest of all my cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, the nearest close knit cousin in age to me is is just four years, um, but a lot of my cousins are like fifteen years younger than me. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's like that that makes it hard to have like that like really close like mm-hmm. thing with them and. Um, I, I'm really proud of my relationship with uh, many of my cousins, um, who I, I don't know, like when I, when we were closer, I'm the only person that this is Beth to your point. I am on, on the other side of the Mississippi. All my cousins are, are, are are still in the cities that they were born in. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm the outlier in that regard. I, I spent a lot of time with them, like, in my 20s when I was living in Colorado Springs. Like, I, I, I like, spent a couple years back in my hometown and picked up with a lot of them. Like, took them ice skating every weekend. And, like, those were really good years. Um, and that was, like, that was that was me just wanting to be with my family. I don't know. So... That I guess I guess I'm just awesome as a white guy for doing that. For guys- for like having cousins. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. It does sound like I have I have less cousins overall. Like maybe maybe that's of interest. Um, I have. Hmm. Yeah. That. I guess maybe that's part of it. I mean, just because white people in general don't have cousins, it doesn't mean that you specifically don't have don't have to have cousins or something. Per like your that. per your previous um right i mean your relationship to your cousins is interesting because you're so much older than them yeah yeah that makes yeah. things different yeah so yeah. that does that does make things different and i wonder like what is it about because i'm real i'm within like uh, like two or three years of all of my cousin of mm-hmm. at least the cousins that i'm close to i do have a bunch of cousins that are slightly yeah. outside of that range uh but like the core group of cousins like I like we're relatively the same in age, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that's just because of like Beth, what you're saying, like stuff just like travels through the family network. Like one person gets married, another person gets married, and then mm-hmm. like one person starts having a kid. Yeah, and person, like it's just kind of like 
it's just, we, we, people are just doing things together. Mm-hmm. I, that that seems right. Like I, my parents are like, like their siblings aren't that far. Like there, there's only like three or four years between mm-hmm. my mom and her her two sisters. So it's not like that accounts for the big difference in the age between us. Hmm. I definitely think so. I first I have to admit that this concept of white people not having <laughs> is not my own. Um, I am a huge fan of Michael Harriet of the Roots writing, and mm-hmm. for some reason I was like googling him or something, and one of the first articles that popped, or no, I was reading another article of his, and he said at one point we still haven't figured out why white people don't have cousins. <laughs> uh, he, he was talking about old black aunties, which according to this article, I am an old black auntie at this point. Um, But yeah, when he said that, I was like, white people don't have cousins. Or if they (laughs) do have cousins, they hate them and don't deal with their cousins. And I Mm -hmm. certainly have some cousins that I don't like, Mm -hmm. but I still deal with them. And I think the emphasis on the need for family is different for white people who are established in America. Because Mm -hmm. guess who does have cousins? Italians have cousins, but they Mm -hmm. weren't always white. And Irish people will have cousins because they weren't always white either. But somebody that has like been, whose family has like been in America for generations and generations, you will notice that they don't deal with their extended family. And I think the the, the dependency on that like family unit yeah, I think when you subscribe to whiteness and capitalism, you don't get to take your cousins with you. Mm-hmm. Right. The kind of so the stability that your family provides you is less necessary when you can depend on other things. Yes. I I am looking at when you talked about Michael Harriet. I just googled him, and one of the first things that came out from at the, uh, an article from the Root is an opinion piece called "Cops Are White People's Cousins." <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whoa. Um, and he like he said like he says there your cousins always have your back and white people are the same way with the police yes all cops are heroes who would never shoot somebody unless they truly feared for their lives just like all your cousins <laughs> are fine upstanding citizens who never once combined their three dollars with your six dollars to buy three mice from the pet store and put them in your neighbor's mailbox to pay her back for telling your mom and aunt to saw you please sneaking out of the window <laughs> okay this is a good. One. This is pretty funny. You guys have to. Re- I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna read Michael Harriet, but his overall point here is great. Yeah. But like, the white the cops are white people's cousins. They can depend on the cops. They can depend on like these structures that society has built to support mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the same way, um, persons of color, we can't depend on the system in the same no. way that white people can. Mm-hmm. So we, we have, have to, to depend, depend on, on each other. Exactly. Yes. So our yes. cousins are our cousins. And like. Even if you look at slavery, like black people always have play cousins or play siblings, right? And that means somebody couldn't handle, you know, raising one of the kids and they Mm -hmm. ended up being a part of your family or somebody has just always been connected to your family and they just become family because of it. And a big part of that, I think, I don't have any historical proof for this, but I I think a big part of that is how the family unit uh, for black people has historic in America has historically been um, ripped apart by systems. Mm -hmm. So if you were a kid 
who got ripped from your mother's clutches and put to a put on another plantation, the black people, the, the slaves on that plantation would take that child in and mm. that would be his new family, right. right? So we've always historically had to depend on each other and like yeah. create um, structures of support yeah. that really weren't actually there. We had to create them. Yeah, totally. I, I could, I, that makes perfect sense to me. And I, similarly in an Asian American context, like for Asian Americans, there's always like a random like auntie so-and-so or uncle so-and-so. And it's like, how are we related to them again? Mm, maybe, we're, maybe we're not. Yeah. They're, just, they're just part of the family in some way. Or yeah. like we support them somehow or they support us. But it's like, again, it's because like you, you build these kind of networks from scratch when you're in this new place and you have nobody else to rely on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am... Um... I can I can relate. I when I first moved to Philly, um, I like I, I I moved here to to live in a house with other people and in, in like a missional kind of a setting. And we were in we were in a black neighborhood as mostly a white household. And we did spend a lot of time I think trying to diagram the like family relations and got nowhere because so much of it is ad hoc. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's it is and it is like it's really special in that way, like. There are, there are like, there's blood family and then there's, and then there's not. And there's, it's really hard to distinguish between the two. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking about how we, or how uh, communities of color tend to rely more on their familial networks. Mm-hmm. I guess here's my question, speaking from my own experience, specifically for like, Beth, do you think there's a downside to that? To having too many cousins? Well, to the way that our, like, yeah, kind of, to the way that the family is so interconnected. Because I'm thinking about, I'm just thinking about for myself. Um, I mean, I didn't way- get to watch Harry Potter. Well, that's true. Neither did I. Yeah. Neither did my, neither, neither did me and my cousins. You know? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I could think of. Too many sisters to, like, uh-huh. call everything demonic. <laughs> right. Um, how do I phrase this? What is the the downside of having too many cousins or having seeing being too insular being, as a family unit? Yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, one downside, for instance, is that um, my it's it's hard to get my family members to believe anything unless unless it's somebody that they know had told them. <laughs> like, unless it's like somebody that they can like somebody they know told them that this is true. <laughs> So that's is there is there an example that won't get you into trouble? Oh man, this is good um, radio. I'm just <laughs> we're connected. Thinking about my mom's conversation from the previous episode about that Joe Biden Hunter Biden thing. Oh right. All right. Who do you the think told her that? I, oh okay okay. Here's the thing. I told her. I called her afterwards. Well, I sent an email to her afterwards, being like, "Hey mom, here's some articles. That thing you told me was debunked. Like, what do you think about that?" And she was like, "I've got my own source." <laughs> I've got my own source, and I trust what she said uh, yeah. in China, and, yeah. um, and so I know that this is true. Um, and it's just like you're gonna. Was it her cousin? Was it her cousin that I'm told sure her that it's? I'm sure it's that it's some family like, member or something. You somewhere. have to debunk the myth with the auntie. Yeah, and like, and the yeah, and the auntie got it from somewhere, and it's just like there's no way to. I can't fight like when it's my word against a cousin's word. <laughs> It's just there's nothing I can do about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Europe, Europe. Um, there's an article today. There was an article that came out literally today in Vox about the challenge of combating fake news in Asian American communities, 
And a lot of it is just because like we just get our news from each other and and like stuff is passed around and it's just hard to to fight misinformation. This is just one like I don't even know how this is just, this is just one aspect of of that. I think family strife can get a little funky mm-hmm. in family units like this. Um like once one person uh, gets into conflict with another person, mm. that conflict can trickle throughout the whole family and it can divide the mm. family mm-hmm. because the unit is so insular and dependent upon each other that any sort of straying um, is looked at more is looked at as more of a mass betrayal than I mm. feel like for white people. I guess yeah. I say that because white people, it seems like they'll be so politically um, different from their family and will mm-hmm. totally disown their family over um, politics. And that's like so weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, some of my family is super conservative Christian, um, but I still like love them and can kiki and get a drink with them. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't think about ousting them over that. Mm. Um, mm. In my experience, especially now in this present political climate, um, yeah, it seems like white people are okay with like ousting their their family for more minor infractions than what you see in people of color communities. Mm-hmm. Is that do you think that's true, Chris? Um, I do. I do think there's something to that. Um, that is a the temptation to cut and run from hard conversations. Um, I this is interesting. I I didn't really. I I would not have associated that with whiteness. And I mean, as like as a white person, I feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like. I I think I would survive, um, like if financially, you economically. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, and 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 like that's a thought that occurs to me whenever right. there's a conflict that like mm-hmm. yeah. I don't want to have. Yeah, I to- I totally get that, and to an extent, I think that's kind of a down. That is that definitely is a downside of being so connected to your extended family. I I can say that I I since I am less financially dependent on my parents or my family in general i I do feel like i'm less indebted to them or less like i have to to answer Mm -hmm. to them in the same way Mm -hmm. um economic status makes a huge difference um and i guess that might be true about all sorts of things like socially in terms of politics or religion like yeah i can't imagine not being a christian in my family Mm -hmm. right um that's so like the family Faith is like a part of our family culture Mm. at this point. Like my uncle, who um, has never really been a part of the church um, for reasons I actually don't know. I'm have to ask my mom sometime. Um, Every time he calls me, he always says, praise the Lord, because that's our family greeting. (laughs) Whenever somebody walks in the room, uh, we, it, they walk in the room and say, praise the Lord. And everybody says back, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Like that's <laughs> our call and oh response in yeah, our yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I say all that to say that, yeah, like at this point, Christianity mm-hmm. is deeply embedded in my family mm-hmm. culture. And I can't imagine if um, I decided to follow another faith or if I got married to somebody that w- was of a different faith. Mm-hmm. 
Like that would be almost like going against the family. Hmm. Yeah. It definitely would be going against the family for me it's because mm-hmm. the, the, the idea of Christianity is so embedded in our family mythology because mm-hmm. like my great, great, I think great, great, great grandfather was one of the first Christian converts in Taiwan is the family story. Um, so the idea that like our family has been following God for all of these generations uh, is is like significant to the way that my family sees itself. Mm-hmm. So the idea of not doing that uh, would be like would be personally offensive, mm-hmm. not just like religiously, but to the to the, the idea of the family. To you the know? family, yeah, because we're so enmeshed in, right. in POC communities. Like you don't rebel against the family. One of my cousins, um, her husband was Catholic, and she became <laughs> Catholic. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a little family stir about mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to my mom <laughs> about it. I, I, I was just like, well, she's still a Christian. But mm-hmm. the fact that like she was Catholic mm-hmm. was kind of like, ooh, I would. Oh, that's that's different. Right, is she that- really it was almost this tone of is she really a Christian anymore? Mm-hmm. And like I remember talking to my mom about her family finding finding I'm using air quotes finding faith and she was like yeah yeah for years our family was Baptist and then mm-hmm. they found Jesus and started going to whatever Pentecostal <laughs> church and I said mom did you notice that like you said they were Baptist and then they mm-hmm. found Jesus and she was <laughs> like huh that's interesting I did just say that and like you could tell it like really right, got right, right. her mind whirling oh that's awesome. Um, yeah, but like to be a Christian in my family is not only um, to just be a Christian, but you better make sure that you're like Pentecostal or charismatic mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. way as yeah. well. It's not, it's also the flavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also feel like those um, constricting family traditions um, that are so enmeshed in our family culture has caused a lot of my cousins to like completely turn away from faith. Mm. I would say there's only, there's 19 of us. I would say only a handful of us really consistently go to church and practice Christianity because mm. it's so all or nothing. Right. So if they don't find themselves in that all, they they're better off in the nothing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about how there is this tension between our own inclusion in our family, but also advantages of leaving behind or or looking outside the family or creating our own family. Jesus experiences the same kind of tension in the Bible. He has a lot of tension with his actual biological family. Early in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 3, his uh, his brothers and his mother actually try to lock him up because they think he's crazy for saying mm. what he's saying. Um, at the same time, and, and he actually talks about how um, when his mother and his brothers try to find him in Mark chapter three, he says, "Well, the people standing around me these are my these are my brothers and my mother. Whoever listens to me is my brother and my sister and my mother." And also in the New Testament, there's this idea of. Um, of creating this this new family that's mm-hmm. not a biological family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. at the same time, there is there is there is more tension there because some of his earliest and most devoted followers were members of his family, like his brother James or his his mom Mary, who was respected in the early church. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's I, I kind of feel that tension in myself. 
because my mom is always trying to get me to see like the idea of faith and the idea of family is so wrapped up and tight. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, God picked our family, our biological family, the Gao family to like to do his will. Yeah. Uh, There's almost like an, an element of Christian elitism mm-hmm. that your mom dives into, you feel like? I do feel like that. Yeah. Um, and But I also acknowledge that like the idea to say to, to shut down your biological family and just be like, oh, the church is my family. Like it's easier to do that when when you're um, well, I mean, when you're the son of God, but also like when you've got like when you're pretty self-sufficient, you know, right. Yeah, right. When it's like, oh, I don't I, I'm not going to depend on my parents or my cousins or whatever to help me out so I can. I can I can pick who I I can pick my own family. Mm-hmm. I don't have any obligations. I don't know. I think that when Jesus asserted like, well, my followers are my family. I think mm-hmm. he was making a point, but it does seem like Jesus was really like close to his family. I, yeah. Wasn't one of his disciples one of his brothers? Yeah, James. James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I think he was making an invitation to us to be open to um, extending what we consider to be family to the full body of Christ Mm. um, so that we can go deeper with him and go deeper with God by having more people reflecting ourselves back to us. Um, And therefore that like, that like reflection is an opportunity to grow with God. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's this thing that Jesus does at the end like as as radically as in so many of these interactions as he like steps away from his family he also like fuses his family together in a new way like by mm-hmm. telling John to take care of his mother while he's hanging from the cross mm-hmm. so this there's is like your new mother yeah like or this is your mother Jesus isn't Jesus isn't just being like you don't have a family anymore like your family is the church like it's way more integrated than that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i don't and like i think that what like what we're trying to do here is like also this invitation into into god's family um like the the challenge to racism is that like we like without that we could be a family <laughs> mm-hmm. you know yeah there's a real invitation in this yeah hmm I mean, Chris, do you feel like you have an obligation to to talk to your family about racism because they're your family? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, that doesn't always that, uh, that often feels like a weight. It doesn't. Um, it feels like mm-hmm. just a lot of responsibility. So I right. like this. That my answer to your question feels like an admission. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost feels like a confession. Like I. That's the way I'm working with it, and I, I wish I had something better structurally because I like underneath that the the call to like anti-racism I I believe in, and I believe that's that's good work. And I mm-hmm. sometimes in these conversations with my with my family, going back to like what our reader or our, our emailer was saying at the beginning, I think part of what's in that conversation is this obligation mm-hmm. that I feel that. Um, well, it like it makes every every conversation that doesn't turn out well feel like a failure. I get that. I like what you guys are saying. I hadn't actually connected this or thought about this. This idea that um, 
this idea that Jesus remixes the family, that that that, that mm-hmm. the bio- that the extended family isn't abolished, it becomes more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, for instance, like your work trying to talk to your family, Chris, mm-hmm. it doesn't it is the same work as you doing anti-racism work in general with the world. Yeah, your family still exists, but it's it's not just your family; it's not insular. Yeah. Yeah, it's an opportunity to bring more people into the goodness of our faith. Yeah. Because a lot of times it does feel to me like even though I have faith, my faith is so different from that of my my mom's, which is so connected to the idea of family mm-hmm. that like, like for me, I feel like I have to reject the idea of family. Um, so that's still something that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think I'm more on the side of I have to bring my family with me. Mm-hmm. And I like work really hard. Like I have several cousins who are gay. Um, and growing up for them, the idea of being both Christian and gay couldn't go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to one of my cousins several times about like, no, God made you the way you are. And you can be both Christian and gay that's totally okay and god really loves you and sees you mm-hmm. so i'm definitely on the side of i want my family with me yeah in this extended family of god's love yeah totally yeah. um yeah i think that's a good place to end so um the last thing we like to do is talk about whatever we're into this week uh beth do you want to kick us off sure um so i found what i'm into this morning when somebody reposted a video of the rapper DMX performing or singing, I think he's in his house, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's hilarious. I cannot. Filled with DMX ad-libs that makes it really fantastic. So that's what I'm into. Nice. Chris, what are you into? Um, I'm shooting a video and recording myself singing as part of a project with a couple of my cousins. Mm -hmm. Um, We're singing a Christmas carol. I have, I've rearranged the office. Um, spent like i've i've purchased these headphones i've like i've put real time into like doing this thing and it's like i've heard i've taken six takes now and i don't like any of them like it's still at the end of the day like it's still my voice it's still me singing and i'm like it's not that great but it's so fun (laughs) i bet it'll sound good when you're all together i feel like it will i have like the the talent in my family runs deeper than me fortunately um my my youngest cousin on this project, Cameron, is a phenomenal musician. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing what he throws into this. Um, my cousin Stefan, like, the this came out of like maybe one time we we caroled together at Christmas, and I was like, I'd like to do this again. It was really fun. That is fun. Yeah. Nice. What I'm into this week, I'm kind of bittersweetly into this because I, what I'm into this week is the Philadelphia Museum of Art, which is now closed again because of the lockdown. Mm. But before it did lockdown, I, 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 uh, I just went there randomly on a Sunday by myself, put some headphones in, just, you know, just went down to the contemporary uh, art museum hall and just kind of vibed for a little while. And that was, mm. it was a great, great experience. They have a great exhibit right now of um, South Asian contemporary art, but which uh, I, I think everyone should check out when they're able to. Um, and it's, I definitely recommend the experience once it's available to people. Mm. Special thanks to Luke Bartolomeo, our communications manager, and to Jared Selby, who does our theme song. And I can't believe I didn't mention this like two episodes ago. Special thanks to my wife, Amy Young, 
who made our website. Amy, it's beautiful. Thank you. Colorcorrectionpodcast.com. Yeah. It looks great. All right. And um, per usual, this is our fourth year in a row where we've had our annual festival turn up to bail out, which benefits the Philadelphia Community Bell Fund's annual holiday mass bailout. Um, so this year we are streaming turn up to bail out live to our Facebook page, the Circle Mobilizing Because Black Lives Matter Facebook page on December 12th at 8 p.m. So it's going to be free, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't donate. So if you watch the show and enjoy the show, or even if you don't, um, make sure you donate to phillybailout.org. And with that being said, stay black, Little Mermaid. <laughs>